0: Well, it is so great to be back here. I, I, I'm a little overwhelmed. Uh, Amy and I are here, and we're just, we've just been looking forward to this for so long. We're just are grateful to Dean Pearson and for all the clergy for the invitation. And just so wonderful to be among friends who know us you know, so well. Things are going, just to, to answer the questions, uh, things are going great in Jacksonville. Our kids are adjusting really well. Uh, Amy is really happy, and, uh, and the church is just going great because you have trained me on how to be a priest, and I am so grateful for it. I draw on it uh, every single day. There's been a lot of celebration about uh, coming back here, but if you will uh, just do me a favor and uh, do us all a favor, and let's just, let's just make this uh, about Jesus. We just really want to celebrate him and all he has done for us. Uh, Let me uh, read uh, for you a passage from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Now, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, you are the point of all this. We thank you for your word. And thank you for this time and this place. And pray God now. Uh, that you would be with us, and that you would be our teacher, and that by your mercy, and your grace, and your spirit, we would hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it was 1981 in Columbia, South Carolina. I was in first grade. That's where I grew up, in Columbia. And after school, I went over to play at the house of a friend named Carl Johnson, and we had a snack, and Ms. Johnson sent us out to, to play in the neighborhood, and I'm sure that Mrs. Johnson must have said, now, uh, Carl, remember to stay within your boundaries, and uh, we didn't. Um, we, uh, I didn't know it. I mean, they weren't my boundaries. It wasn't my house, but, uh, but he knew it. Uh, he knew where his boundaries were. We busted right on through, and uh, the sun began to set, and we were having a great time just crawling through the neighbor's bushes uh, several uh, blocks away. My dad showed up to pick me up, and we weren't there. And, um, and so after, after a few minutes, uh, nervously looking at Mrs. Johnson, they uh, began to call around the neighborhood, you know, just having to, on the rotary phones, I'm sure. And, and of course, they called within the boundaries. And, and we, weren't, we weren't there. No one had seen us. That was the whole plan. We were crawling through the bushes. We didn't want anybody to see us. And I was six or seven years old. And what I could not have known at that time was, was what was all over the news. And we were, Columbia's about four hours, five, four or five hours away from Atlanta. You probably, some of you may remember what was going on in Atlanta at that time, because Birmingham's closer. Uh, but there was a series of child murders happening Right at that time, my mom calls and refers to him when we talk about this story, which she brings up a lot. Uh, The the Atlanta child murders. And I didn't know it, but my mama did. And my mom, to this day, still has not forgiven Carl Johnson. (laughs) She describes those two hours where she didn't know where where I was as the most scared that she has ever been. They found us. I think Carl was allowed to come out of his room a couple years ago. (laughs) And I can still, all these years later, I can still remember walking into our living room that night and seeing the expression on my mom's face, relief and terror and tears and anger and love. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you have lost a child, but it is a panic like no other. Well, Mary and Joseph pulled over for lunch. And Joseph's been up with the men, and Mary's been back with the women. And Mary says, well, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And then there's this, there's this search, this frantic search that begins uh, to go around. They search through the crowd of family and friends, and they can't find him. Well, it's an awful thing to lose a child, but to lose God's child, that must be another level of panic <laughs> altogether. They're searching, and they're searching, and they decide to retrace their, their steps all the way through their day's journey. And after three days, three days, they found him in the temple, sitting serenely among the teachers, listening and asking them questions. Just think about all the emotion, the love, the anger, the tears, but especially the relief. And having found Jesus after a frantic search. Now this passage is about the human development of Jesus. And we'll get there in a minute. But first I want to say that we're all searching for something. And you don't have to dig too deeply in your life to find uh, one or two ways that you're searching. You're searching for happiness. Or you're searching for peace. Peace. Or for achievement, or affirmation, or security, or a sense of purpose, a sense of worth. And where do we look for all those things? We look to our jobs to provide those things for us. We look to our spouses, or to our parents, or to our kids, or to our bank accounts and our possessions. We're all searching. And yet it's not really fair, is it, to ask those people or to ask those things to provide ultimate answers that they're just not equipped to answer. I mean, you know, really, don't you, that your spouse cannot give you ultimate peace or happiness. You know that your bank account can't give you ultimate security you know that your kids can't give you ultimate affirmation. Sometimes any uh, affirmation. (laughs) And yet, isn't it the case that when we keep going back to the well and the well runs dry, our natural inclination is to think that there's something wrong with the well. And yet, like uh, Mary and Joseph, when we find Jesus... We find relief. We finally found what we have been looking for all along. Because you see, God created us for Himself to find deep satisfaction in Him, and once, uh, on only when we find Jesus, we find that our searches come to an end. Now let's just hold on to that for a minute. When we find Jesus; our searches come. To an end. And let's talk uh, for a minute about what the passage itself wants to say. This is, this is the only passage that we have in all of Scripture where we see Jesus, and he's not either an infant or an adult. This is Jesus growing up, and he's doing what middle school students do, isn't he? He's listening to his teachers, he's asking a lot of questions, he's exasperating his mother. And I will say, too, though, I think that his response to his mother, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? was completely without guile. And there's really nothing unusual, is there, about the story of a boy who ditches his parents and then they, they find him where he'd rather be? Until we realize that this boy is God. And suddenly... We are confronted with God who is impassable, who is unchangeable, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are confronted with this God growing and learning. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Are you as uncomfortable as I am with a God who needs to learn something? or with a Savior who needs to increase in favor with God. And that just just kind of blows my mind. And what we see here is that Jesus was fully human. Now, he never suspended the fact that he was also fully divine, but he had to sort of grow into it. His human nature had to, had to catch up with his divine nature. It's really one of the great mysteries of the incarnation and in the Christmas story that the unchangeable God became human. And he had to grow up. And growing up involves a lot of change. Amy and I have a 12 year old at home, and let me tell you, there's a lot of change. It's not always pleasant. Wouldn't it it have been fascinating? I mean, knowing what we know now about Jesus' human and divine nature, to watch Jesus as a 12-year-old, to hear the voice that spoke the world into existence cracking with puberty, the mind that imagined mathematics into truth learning to think abstractly. And I think it's pretty clear that even Jesus didn't know then what we now know about Jesus. He was growing into it in its deep theology, but he was at the same time discovering who he was without ever being less than he had been in the beginning as the Son of God and the second person of the Trinity. Well, so far we've said two things. We said, number one, we're all searching for something. And number two, Jesus was growing up. So what do those two things have to do with each other? And what do they have to do with us? And for that matter, what do they have to do with Lent? Because I know you came here for a Lenten sermon, not for a Christmas sermon. Well, we know from Hebrews, chapter four, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin. And that means that as he was growing up, that Jesus was searching. But he made the right decision every single time. Every conscious decision he made. And also even the slightest motivational impulses of his adolescent heart. As he made his way through life he was as he was looking for affirmation he looked to the love of his father. When he was looking for security he rested on the promises of God. When he was looking for happiness he loved God and loved his neighbor. When he was discerning his purpose he sought the counsel of the Lord in prayer and in the scriptures. Jesus never asked his earthly parents to be ultimate. Jesus never idolized the affirmation of his friends. Jesus never rooted his identity in the quality of his carpentry work. Jesus always counted on God to be God, even in the darkest of circumstances. And he never asked anyone or anything else to be God instead of God. And there's a word for that in the Bible. It is righteousness. Righteousness. Completely attuned to the love of God and to the will of God according to the word of God in thought, word, and deed. Righteousness. You might be thinking, well, I know what's coming next, I, and I've already blown it. I've already blown it. If you're a preacher, if you're about to tell me that I should do all that, well, you can forget it because I'll never be that righteous. And if that's what you're thinking, I want to tell you something. You're right. You're right. And here's where this text, this narrative of this text gets particularly Lenten because Lent is the season where we acutely evaluate and confess our unrighteousness in the light of Christ's righteousness where we confess and evaluate our human brokenness in the light of Christ's divine wholeness. And when we look at Jesus Christ, when we look at God in the flesh, we see that he lived the perfect life through childhood, through puberty through the school years, and into his working years, among his family and his friends, among his enemies and doubters, every decision, every action, every impulse, he lived the perfect life. Not principally to be an example, but to be a worthy, atoning sacrifice. He went to the cross And on the cross, he took upon himself all of our inconsistencies, all of our misguided loves, all of our mistakes and failures, all of our searching for love in all the wrong places, and he gave us his badge of honor, his righteousness. Such, friend, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a lousy score. And thank God he doesn't see some kid crawling through his neighbor's bushes. When, Jesus, uh, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Jesus died so that you could have everything that you've ever dreamed of in God. And like Mary, we've been looking for the divine in all the wrong places. We've been looking for affirmation and things that can't affirm us, for security and things that can't make us secure. We've been looking for peace and things that can't give peace and for salvation and things that can't save. And when you find Jesus, it's this huge relief because you were made by him and you were made for him and you were made to have all you need in him. You were made by him you were made for him and you were made to have all you need in him and that's true and learning to live according to that truth is called the christian life this is the christian life and that process of sanctification is the stripping away of all the things that we think we need besides jesus for salvation and peace and affirmation on and on and in that process of finding Jesus over and over and over again, you begin to discover the capacity to love people without needing them to first make you happy or give you affirmation because you already have that in Jesus. And you find that you're free to really do your job well as unto the Lord because you're no longer defined uh, in your own heart and your own mind by your achievements but by your relationship to Jesus. I mean, whatever you're searching for, the answer is Jesus. And like Mary, when we find Jesus, it's this huge relief. But unlike Mary, when you find Jesus, you find that he has been searching you out all along. He's been pursuing us. You and I were the lost ones, not Jesus. And he's the one with relief on his face. Because you're with him now. You're home. You're his. Amen.